This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Here you go. Here you go. Mailbag. Nothing personal word of the day. It's a mailbag for you. Thank you for downloading, subscribing, tuning in, maybe even watching it on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. The way we're doing mailbags is get to us on Twitter, get to us on Instagram, David P. Sampson, however you can find us, whether it's with threads or Twitter or whatever other place that Coca tells me to be, ask a question and we get to talk about stuff with you and answer your actual questions without playing the So You Want to Talk to Sampson music. We should probably play that. Because every mailbag question we get is, so you want to talk to Samson? Hi, David. Love the show and was wondering if you discuss my question live on the air. Well, yes, I love your question upcoming. Appreciate that you love the show. We're not live at the moment. Sorry. I'm wondering what front offices think about players from their team competing in the home run derby. Further... What input goes into MLB choosing the participants? Who has the final say on which players will participate? Thank you. The Home Run Derby, part of All-Star Week, has become what the NBA had for a while, which was the three-point contest and the slam dunk contest. That used to be as big a story as the actual NBA All-Star game back when people would actually compete in the NBA slam dunk contest, and it was the best of the best. The home run derby was developed as a way to get an extra night of content for the broadcaster of the home run derby and of the all-star game. So when you are cutting a deal with Fox and with ESPN, you're doing it knowing that they're paying for certain jewel events. What is a bigger jewel event than the home run derby? where history can be made at any moment when in theory, you've got the best home run hitters in baseball, where it used to be easy to discern who they were. They were the cleanup hitters, the guy in the three hole, the four hole. Now you have home run hitters from every spot in the diamond, every spot in the batting order. It used to be way easier to figure out who's going to be in the home run contest. And players were way more willing to be in the home run contest than they are today. It is incredibly frustrating within the commissioner's office and within some ownership ranks that there is a thread that is weaved by players and their union agents that being in the home run derby actually impacts their ability to hit home runs in the second part of the of the season. I don't call it the second half because the all-star break comes not exactly at the halfway point, but post all-star break. So everyone's always looking. It's the same thing as saying, you can't do hard knocks, your team will suck, or don't do the franchise. If you do the franchise, you won't win games like the Marlins didn't win games. 
I haven't seen one statistical thing that proves that when you swing in the home run derby, that you have a bad second half, or on top of that, that your swing plane changes, that you become ineffective. So what we do is try to convince players, the best players, to be in the home run derby. The broadcast partners want the best players in the home run derby. The commissioner's office wants the best players in the home run derby. The union wants no pending free agents in the home run derby. They prefer it not to have young unsigned players. Don't want anyone to get hurt. We're trying to grow the game here. We're trying to make it more and more popular. We want stars. When Dela Cruz of the Cincinnati Reds announces that he doesn't want to do this year's home run derby because he wants to help his team and stay focused on helping his team, I ask you, how does being in the three-point contest mean that you're not going to shoot well going forward and your team's going to suck after that? How does being in the slam dunk contest impact how you play the game and whether you shoot from three or how your mid-range jumper is going? There is no doubt that the home run contest is exhausting for its participants in the same way a three-point shooting contest is. But once you are done with the home run derby, it's still an easier day than a regular season game. Granted, there's media, there's TV, there's interviews, there's it's sort of like filming a TV show and that you have to be at certain places at certain times, but baseball players are used to that. We're ruled by the clock. In 2016, was flying to San Diego. We had Fernando Rodney as an all-star. We had AJ Ramos as an all-star. We had Giancarlo Stanton, Marcelo Zuna, and Jose Fernandez. And Stanton was gonna be in the home run derby. And I was talking to him on the plane and everyone was in a jovial mood. It was a big contingent at that point before Jose had passed away. Obviously, he was on the plane. And we thought that this was our year. I mean, we had plenty of great players. Everything was great. We go to San Diego. Stanton wins the home run derby in San Diego. And afterward, we're on the field and he's hoisting the trophy. And he just looks at me and says, man, I'm tired. Of course he's tired, but it didn't take away from his desire to do it as he agreed to do it the following year and defend his championship in Miami in the 2017 home run derby where Aaron Judge was the winner and happens to be, Coca, I don't know if you remember this, I just didn't get enough attention. Before the home run derby in 2017, they were taking BP and Aaron Judge was in the home run derby with Justin Bohr and John Carlos Stanton. During BP for the home run derby, Judge hit the roof with a ball. No one had hit the roof before, even in BP. The roof is so high at Marlins Park that we were told it's unhittable. When it was being built, the studies said that a foul ball, a fair ball, no one's hitting the roof. You don't even need to worry about ground rules for hitting the roof. Unlike in Tampa, where they actually have written ground rules about which part of the roof, when it gets hit, what that means, foul ball, double home run. So Judge hits the roof and I'm on the field and it took about a second for me to realize what had happened. All of a sudden, MLB officials are on the field, the umpires are on the field, and we are having a meeting right then and there to figure out what the ground rules are gonna be. That is a true story. We only figured out ground rules of the roof at Marlins Park in the 2017 Home Run Derby. We had talked about it previously, but it was never a thing because it was an impossibility. And then Aaron Judge comes. 
So the thing about the home run derby, like anything in baseball, I had a view that was not shared by our owner. My view is that I wanted our players doing everything they could to get national attention, period. If we have a player invited to the home run derby, you go. If you have a player invited to the futures game, you go. Any part of All-Star Week, if you have a chance to go sign autographs around the World Series, never been asked, no players have, but you go. We want exposure. We want brand recognition. We want brand improvement. And the Home Run Derby is a great way to have that happen. The problem is, it's such a long season that when it comes time to All-Star Week, there's no breaks, even with the new calendar where you play more afternoon games, there's more days off. The baseball schedule is a grind and a half. And what the players prefer to do is be with their families, be with themselves, be away from baseball, do something that doesn't involve cameras, physical activity of the athletic baseball type, and just have some days off. When you're asked to participate in the home run derby, the reason they try to ask all stars to be in the home run derby is that they're already there. So you're not asking one to fly, anyone to fly to a city special for the home run derby and then leave before the all-star game. Now there have been examples of people in the home run derby who are not in the all-star game. And those are players who are absolutely honored, happy to be asked, not players who felt shamed into doing it or players who were pressured into doing it. I never believed in the shame and the pressure, but I certainly did agree with speaking to baseball and putting the names of our guys out there as potential candidates. Not hard to sell Stanton. Not hard to sell Bohr when you're hosting the game. Harder to sell Bohr when the All-Star game is somewhere else. All of this tracks and all of this makes sense. But working against us are owners who say, hey, I need my guy to have a break. This isn't helpful to the performance on the field. I don't want him performing in these activities, which is a lot of what the owners say about the World Baseball Classic. It's a lot of the fights that occur between the commissioner's office and the ownership is when the commissioner's office is trying to grow the game on the backs of players being paid by individual franchises where they are doing physical activity that in theory could result in injury. To which my answer is, we've had players get injured dropping suitcases on their feet during the, during the offseason. Players get injured doing all sorts of weird stuff. Hitters hit. Home run hitters hit. Come play ball. Help us help you. You're going to make more money. Part of the last collective bargain agreement, and Coke, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, which is disappointing because I should. The winner of the home run derby now makes way more money than the used to. The participants make more money as a minimum. It's like an appearance fee. So these players are getting paid to appear. MLB is trying to get a cross section of players. They want young players. They want hip players. It would not be surprising if Jazz Chisholm, had he not been injured, whether he was discussed by MLB as someone as a possibility for the home run derby. There needs to be a backstory, some sort of attraction to that player, some sort of way to make it a hook for the broadcaster. Stories, it's all stories. Why don't you take a nameless home run hitter in this era of home run hitting? You really try not to because the networks really don't care about that. And I've always liked thinking about what the networks care about because they're the ones who are your biggest client. So you work with the network to see who they want. 
And then you got to get the player to agree. And when the player doesn't, then you got to go to the next item on the list. The nice man, the next man on the list. You ask me who has the final say on which players will participate. Let me be very, very clear. The final say rests with the player and the player's union. There is nothing in the CBA that forces a player to accept an invitation to participate in this event. I thought we actually had a wait to see on this, Coca, didn't we? That participation in the All-Star game would become compulsory in the next CBA, which is the current CBA. And it was not. And I was shocked by that. I was shocked because MLB very badly wants players around during All-Star weekend. And they're fighting tooth and nails to get the players to do it. Coco reminds me that in 19, MLB began awarding $1 million bonuses to the winner of the home run derby. Stanton did not make a million dollars in 2016. As a matter of fact, one of the questions that we asked of Stanton after, when we were flying back after the All-Star game, is how much tip are you giving your pitcher? You know, all the home run derby contestants, they come with throwers. They come with batting practice pitchers. Some come with their actual BP pitcher. Some come with their father. Some come with their brother. Some come with their high school coach. And the question is, if you win, how big a shtup do you give to your pitcher? Or even if you lose, what do you give? Because baseball, here's what you get for being a pitcher in the home run derby, a BP thrower. You get a per diem and you get a little tiny stipend. Thank you so much for coming. And by the way, you can have a ticket to the game. And your family can have a couple tickets to the derby. That's it. But players who win the home run derby are expected to give a substantial amount of money to their pitchers. If you're getting a million dollars, Giving a hundred grand to your BP pitcher, ten percent, not unreasonable at all. I'd be shocked if home run derby winners don't do that. What I really do think about is uh, where it's going from there. What is the future of the home run derby? Because now I could argue easily that the home run derby is bigger attraction than the All Star game, especially with the way the Big-time players are not playing the All-Star game. Hurt. We've gone through it on nothing personal. You've heard it. You know you didn't see Kershaw during the All-Star game. You didn't see Trout. And so what do we do to make more business? That's what's always being thought of. And what the league has decided is that to make more business, we're going to start to offer more things, more days, more activations around All-Star Week, which will make a broadcaster want to pay money may to excuse me, 4869, which will make a broadcaster want to pay more money for the other events. That's what departments in Major League Baseball are paid for to figure out how to get more money from existing sponsors and existing TV partners. What more can we offer what more can we make the players do? What more do we think is fun that we can ask the players? And either way, we're going to have a significant showing where people were matter, people were people who matter are available. What more? What's next? So instead of thinking of how the home run derby is going to change, I like to think about what could be next. You know, a skills competition. You've seen leagues do a skills competition. There's a lot of skills on the baseball field, but frankly, they're not as necessary anymore when you're getting down on the knob and trying to hit one out. They tried to get base running back to being a thing. Eh, sort of worked. 
but can you imagine a scenario of a baseball? Would you not like to see the old Vladimir Guerrero Sr. or Ichiro throw a pee-pee from right field and get someone out at third base, someone all out running, and watch them throw from the corner in right field on a fly to third base? That's sort of fun. I wouldn't like my players necessarily doing that because you could throw your arm out. But the president would, the owner wouldn't. So I appreciate your question on that. Nice home run derby question. All right, next. David. Yes, thank you. Would it be smart for a small market team that is a player away to offer a free agent like Shohei Otani a three-year deal at $75 million per year? You know you're getting quality play and you aren't eating the last three years of the deal. From your mouth to God's ears, there are teams lining up who would want Shohei Otani as an example for three years at 75. That's 225 million bucks. You're saying to yourself it's impossible. A baseball player can't be worth that. The highest paid player is Scherzer and Verlander at 40.3. You're not going to go from 40.3 to 75, are you? The answer is yes, we would. We can't get the player to do it. The reason why players are signing all these deals that are seven, eight, nine, ten plus years is that gives a level of financial security and saves them, wait for it, from themselves. D. Gordon was a player of ours, terrific player. He had a forced savings plan where half of his paycheck would go into a place he never saw it. Players want deferred comp so they know when they're 50 years old, they'll be getting a check. It's a way to keep income going long after retirement. When you are able, which is the very tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of players, to get a 10-year deal. That gives you salary, security, for longer than 95%, anecdotally, players in the game. It's very hard to get 10 years of service in our game. What do you do with the player, though, who requires both the highest AAV and the most notional dollars? The only way you can protect against Shohei Otani absolutely pillaging your village and neighborhoods with the amount of money he's going to ask for, the only way to prevent that is to make him a short-term offer that is at such an outrageous Saudi-level type that his agent would say, listen, is there a chance you'll get hurt in the next three years? Yeah. Is there a chance your career will be over in the next three years? Yeah. Is there a chance you'll still be pitching and hitting in three years? I think so. Is there a chance that you can be better four years from now? Well, that's going to be a tougher one. Players who take a one-year deal or a two-year deal in free agency are players who do not have the feeling that their skill is going to last. They feel as though they're in a position where they're going to get stepped over by younger players. Their right to earn money, their ability to earn money will disappear as they're not playing baseball when they're 30 years old and they're left holding the bag saying, well, what do I do now? So the argument for that would be make as much money as you can early. And if you can still play later, you'll sign a different deal. 
your idea for Shohei Otani is a great idea. And that his agent should actually think about this because a three-year, $75 million deal per year, there's a bunch of teams fitting that in their forecast. The reason why we wouldn't offer him 78 or $75 million a year is that when your total payroll is 150, you're really talking about a roster, a 24-man roster for $75 million. Very hard to do. Doable, hard to do. Why do I say 24? Because you've got Shohei Otani, who plays two positions. So he's your pitcher, he's your hitter. So you actually don't need to sign a free agent to replace him on the roster. He counts as two spots. The 26th spot, you end up just giving to you a minor leaguer paid in the minimum because you don't need depth in DH or in pitching. Unless, of course, there's an injury, in which case all bets are off. But if there's an injury, you would hope that having the short-term deal would be that much more beneficial. As a percentage of payroll, having one player represent 25% of your payroll is a mistake. Any individual player. If you sign him at $75 million, my assumption is that you're signing him to a $35 million hitting contract and a $35 million pitching contract. Does my team at that payroll have enough for two players in the name of one guy to play those two spots, take those two spots? Not really. You need someone to take the spot, but they can be a minimum guy. Get where I'm going with this? You're spending the money that you think is wise to compete to not be in the game for Shohei Otani is a mistake. There should be 30 teams making offers to Otani. I don't care if your payroll is $50 million, you raise it to 100. The opportunity to have Otani is not just based on sponsorship deals. It's not just based on the money that he earns off the field or on the court. It's actually based on what changes within your company happen as a result of signing Shohei Otani. Moving the needle in a way that I've never seen happen. Let me be clear. I've seen a lot of things happen. Albert Pujols leaving St. Louis. Who would have thought it? Move the needle in Denver, in LA? Don't think so. Sometimes even down. It's all based on wins and losses. It's based on what you do for a team to get to October and to get through October. And there's not one team in baseball who would say, our chances are not better with Shohei Otani. Now, from Kansas City, am I trading for him? No even though if I think I'm going to be competitive next year, I want him around the team, get to know his catchers. Wow, I just talked myself into it. Nationals. Wow, they're more than a pitcher away. But hey, I'm talking myself into it. It's easy to talk yourself into a short-term off offer of huge amounts per year. It's a little like soccer now. That's pretty much the crazy part, is that if you get into a situation where you can sign these players at any age, let's say, you are going to have tampering in a way that would make your mouth water and it would give you night sweats. You'll have players secreted away, guaranteeing they'll sign with one team as long as that team signs your brother or cousin as well. But then we would have an opportunity with that player where he is a part of a team that can win now. 
That's what Shohei Otani represents is that he comes in and he makes any team better and makes any team a we-can-win-now team. It's not like the A's. Oh, well, wait a minute, Coca. That's a pretty bad example. The A's are pretty bad. The Royals have major league players playing the major leagues for the most part. Disappointing teams like the Mets and Padres, they've got full teams that are full of legitimate players. For whatever reason, it's just not coming together for them. But any of them have an opportunity to get Otani. How could they not be involved? It makes zero sense to me, which is why I stand by my statement that there will be more than 20 teams who express an interest in Choi Otani. I would have, even though I no way he's choosing our team, no way we can go that high with his payroll. I'm going to raise my hand with interest. I want to sit with him. I want to meet him. Small revenue teams have to be in on everyone internationally. They have to be in on all of their draft picks. They have to sign everyone because they cannot afford a hole in their system. It's the same reason why I'm telling you my view of Otani being traded. You really want to be careful what you do with your farm system. What did I not answer as part of that question? Oh, you're totally right that Shohei Otani has a better than average chance of not being this good for 10 years, whether it's injury or lack of performance. So writing off the last few years of contract is what all these teams do with these long-term deals. It's like become a thing. You give them a farewell tour, a rocking chair, a signed guitar and say, please leave. Like Nelson Cruz last week. Please, I'm begging you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay. Hey, David. As a team president, when did you decide or know when you were going to be buyers or sellers at the deadline? Take a team like the Cubs. Would you be selling if you were their team president? Thank you. All right, I'm going to relax for this one. Couple of things to keep in mind when it comes to the trade deadline. Number one is that most teams are pre-budgeting what they're doing at the deadline, which means when you are in the off-season and you're putting your budget plan together, you've spoken with the baseball department as you speak with the sales and marketing department and the finance department, and the baseball department is saying to you, hey, we like this team. If a few things hit the right way, we are going to be right in there with expanded playoffs. This is a unique opportunity to show the world that we can be a good team. When the owner gets that message, they ought to be budgeting trade deadline acquisition. They ought to be budgeting it. As opposed to report comes back, hey, we're looking at a hundo here. David, I'm so sorry. We just, we don't have enough. We're winning some spring training games. It's all nice and dandy, but we do not have enough to compete in 13. Okay, I accept that. Then my budget for the trade deadline is not an ad, it's a sell because then I will go to the finance department and I will say, listen, what's the savings here? If we trade this player and not that player, keep this player, 
keep that player, include a player in a trade in order to get him traded. What are we talking about here? And the answer is for all small revenue teams, it's millions of dollars to say the least. And millions of dollars is part of your overall budget and financials. It's a big deal. But we would not let the money people decide for us whether we were going to buy or whether we are going to sell. Wouldn't do it. Instead, we asked the baseball department and said, where do you see us? Don't worry about the payroll. Don't worry about the finances. I want to know about your team right now. What is a reasonable expectation for their, where they will be? And baseball people will tell you the truth if you've held on to them long enough, if you're loyal to them, if they don't think you're going to get fired at every corner or fired with one bad season. When I ask a question of a GM, I want an answer and I want the truth. You can handle the truth. Yes, I can. The truth is, you're goddamn right I ordered the 75-win season. If they answer with the 75-win season, I'm going into the season budgeting to cut my payroll. I've identified which players we're going to make available at the deadline. And then I have an opportunity to actually get some money off the budget which is really just making budget when your payroll is too high and then you're trying to cut players at the deadline. So you're asking me, when do we decide? And the answer is you make the decision before the season starts. And then when you get into May, you decide whether or not what you thought you would be is who you are or whether or not who you are is not who you actually are. And you have enough time to change who you are and make a run. It is an incredibly difficult emotional situation to cut off a team, go into sell mode. The reason why it feels so badly is it's another year wasted. You're a year older. Your players are a year older. In contracts that go up in value each year, you let a year pass, guess what? You're paying that same player to do the same thing, more money, which means you got to make other decisions about your roster. All of those are real. All those issues come up as you're deciding where your team is, whether it looks like what you thought it would look like and whether or not you're being delusional. I was guilty of not much more than being delusional. Well, there are people who convict me of way more than that, but you shouldn't. The reason that I was convinced every year that we were better than we were is that I always felt we were one run away. I think you've got Mets fans saying that right now. Hey, we're run. We may be in it, but we got one more run. We're going to catch them. The Padres, you better look out. We're not going to be intimidated by the Angels. They played each other a while back. I'm going to do my Soto shuffle. I'm going to win some games, get totally into it. It doesn't really work that way, sadly. For the number of years that we tried to be who we had not shown we were during the first part of the season, for the number of years where we actually changed into who we wanted to be and who we thought we were is practically zero. It's user error. It's not player error. We made the mistake. We evaluated this team as a better team. We thought that the makeup would make it so that we'd be a playoff team. That's on me. As opposed to Steve Cohn who sits around blaming the players and saying how they've got to get their act together. No. It's always the front office's fault as it should be. Once you decide if you're going to be a buyer and a seller, then it gets tricky. Then you've got to figure out if you're going to tell your players or do you just let the trade deadline pass. They see that no one is coming, but then they see that people were going. 
And they'll be like, oh, man, what did you trade me for a dollar? Where'd you get a bag of balls? Well, actually, the fact that we got someone to take you at all is a small miracle. We're really happy you're gone. Thank you for everything. Nah, it didn't come up a lot. But I loved buying at the deadline because I thought it told our fans and it told the players, hey, we got a chance. We can do this. I'll never forget, Coca. I don't remember the year. What a weird way to start. 4869. I will never forget the year that Carlos Lee walked into the clubhouse. You can check it, Coca. I believe that Carlos Lee made his debut in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I can picture the clubhouse where he walked in. And for the first time, I saw Carlos Lee as we were adding. I don't remember what year. And I remember thinking to myself, that may be the biggest man I've ever seen. He can't be in shape. Of course, I never read Vogelback and any of the other people who were considered to be out of shape. But I was quite worried about good old Carlos Lee. What year was that, Coca? July 5th of 2012. It was in Milwaukee. That's the year. You think that we were not trying and that we traded everyone away because we kept going for it delusionally. Carlos Lee was a real bat. What was our record July 5th of 2012? First year in a new stadium before we absolutely crapped the bed and traded everyone away. I bet you we were above 500. God, that's making me very frustrated just thinking about that. So we're in the clubhouse in Milwaukee. We're pushing it because we could have been sellers. We could have been buyers. But new ballpark first year, of course we're going to buy. And we budgeted it. Wow, we were 39 and 42 entering that game. God, what are we doing? That's horrific. With all those guys we signed, all those blown saves early in the year. That's pathetic. You just brought me right down to the crapper, Coca. It's literally July 5th of 2012. I just remember Carlos Lee walking in and he was wearing some sort of slimming outfit. And he was a big guy, don't get me wrong, but... Big guys could hit. I'd seen it with Fielder before. I mean, big guys, you don't need to have a six-pack to hit. We never had a shot. Not even a shot. So individual teams are going to look at things differently, depending on where they are in their franchise evolution. The Chicago Cubs, if they had not won the World Series in 2016, would have a very different view of whether they need to be buyers or sellers to the deadline this year. Specifically, they've already given, given their people a championship. The Billy Go curse is done. Now they can get down to real, real business without taking account what the public thinks. When you've got a team that has won your trust, the Atlanta Braves come to mind. Los Angeles Dodgers should come to mind. They've done enough over the years to know when they need to do more, or what they need to do to compete or to win more than compete. You all thought that we never earned that right. And I disagree. I really do. We tried to add even when we shouldn't as a way to try to jump house the clubhouse. Not jump house. What is it? Jump start the clubhouse. The fact is, most of the time it doesn't work. So the Cubs in their season, listen, they made a big splash in the offseason. Do I think there's a chance they buy at the deadline? No, I don't. Even though their division is absolute crap, I just don't. Someone like the Marlins, big concern. Did they budget money to acquire pieces at the deadline? If not, you have to overpay with prospects and players to get the players you want. 
Because remember my rule, if you're going to not take on money, you're going to give up more than you'd have to give if you were willing to take on money. It's all about the money side. So as team president, I'm juggling the financials. I'm juggling the on-field results. I'm juggling and managing up and managing down and thinking about the clubhouse and the owner and the GM, the equipment guys, the visiting equipment guy, finance, sales, marketing. I'm not giving you a commercial for what it is to be a team president, but you're taking into a way more into account when you're deciding what you're doing with your team than just if you're on the baseball side. The ultimate team president, I guess you could say, would hear what the baseball people say and then just do it. Maybe that's in your mind what makes a great team president is blindly doing what the baseball people want. I never could operate that way, just like I wouldn't blindly do what the marketing department wanted or the sales department wanted. My responsibility is to the entirety of the organization. And there are some financial risks that an organization take that are not worth it, especially given that it's a declining asset. That's the irony of it all. Players are declining assets. If you have an expiring contract and you acquire someone in June, you've got June, July, August, September, four months with the player. That's it. No guarantee of re-signing. No way to reacquire the players you traded to get the player. And you feel like absolute crap if it didn't work and you're not winning more games or playing in October. But yet there we are again and again, every year, sitting down and making the same decision. Are we going to follow our budget? Are we going to add? Or are we going to follow our budget and know we have to sell and cut player salary and take worse players back because we're cutting salary as well? Remember, two sides to every coin. So it's actually a far more difficult question than you think, whether or not to be a buyer or seller. There's such pressure from the media on standing pat and how bad that is. If, and I get it in life. I actually use that expression. If you're standing still, you're going backwards. Achieve, achieve, David. One step forward, no steps back. Keep moving. Harder than you think. All right, that's this edition of The Mailbag. We'll be back. There'll be other content for you throughout. Don't you worry. I really do appreciate your patience with me gone. And I tell you that I will be back, God willing, August 1st, day of the trade deadline. We will be live at 6 p.m. doing a nothing personal. That is the day I return. And in the meantime, I do appreciate that you continue to listen. I mean, not just because it's business. Like that, Coke, I worked it in. This is nothing personal.